1: DIRT, an audio drama, is a production of Studio 5705. Chapter 11
2: Thank you.
3: So, what are you doing awake <gasps>
1: It's 6 a.m., and the sound and smell of an automatic coffee maker is all my body needs to be wide awake. I can hear Antonia's footsteps on the floor above me as I dress. And by the time she gets downstairs, I have two mugs ready for us on the kitchen counter.
0: If you want a full breakfast, that's over at the other house.
1: (laughs) I gotta get going.
0: So, big day... Think it'll top yesterday?
1: It might. I don't really know what's waiting for me on that side of the mountains.
0: Well, if you get bored, just think of me over here ordering PVC pipe and chicken feed.
1: That sounds kind of nice, actually. No?
0: (laughs) Joseph, I'll see if I can find out what my dad is up to.
1: You don't have to do that.
0: I do. I want to. Okay. Let me know how it goes.
1: And if I get one call from jail, I'll make sure it's to you.
0: <laughs> Wait! Yeah? Here, you might need these.
1: Ah, extra batteries. You really know the way to a guy's heart. (laughs) Light is just coming into the sky as I drive through Yakima again on my way home. But instead of continuing north on Interstate 82 to I-90, I take Highway 12 west to the small farming town of Natchez, and then turn west again onto Highway 410. In Washington, there are several ways to cross over the Cascade Mountains. Today, I decide to go over Chinook Pass. The two-lane road climbs steadily for many miles in elevation alongside the Natchez River until the highway turns left along the Bumping River, and then, finally, to go alongside the American River. Pine trees give way to cedar, hemlock, and then sub-alpine fir, as the road makes a long, final ascent up the side of a majestic U-shaped valley. At the summit, the two-lane highway folds on itself in slow, twisting arcs, passing through verdant alpine meadows and alongside small reflective lakes beneath Rocky Peaks. This is the Washington you see in postcards. In a month, this pass will close down for winter beneath an accumulating snowpack that is regularly among the deepest in North America. The road is frosty, but with the heat on, I'm treated to a spectacular early morning view of massively glaciated Mount Rainier just a couple of ridges away. Almost all of its 14,411 feet are on display. The golden sun beams behind me, and for a brief moment, everything that's weighing me down moves to the background. And this view is all that matters. Before long, the highway begins to descend into the richly forested White River Valley, with views of Mount Rainier continuing to tantalize out my driver's side window. With each passing mile, as I drive out of the mountains and closer to Seattle's outlying suburbs, I start to weigh options. I can go straight home and shower and head to work in time to huddle with my team before the meeting with Molecular. Or I can make a small detour What would you do, Coin Master? Kim... Hey.
3: Joseph, you finally answered. I've been worried since I saw the news and didn't hear from you yesterday. You're... where are you? Are you okay?
1: Yeah, I'm okay.
3: So, what happened with Antonia? Is she still with you?
1: No. I left Wapato this morning.
3: So you're driving back to Seattle now? Yeah. You don't sound okay.
1: Well, there's kind of a lot going on.
3: Joseph, they're saying the police are after you. I know. What are you gonna do?
1: I don't know yet.
3: Ugh, Joseph, I- Do you know
1: someone named R.A. Hastings?
3: Yeah? Why do you ask?
1: Like, how well do you know him? Uh, Kim, I need you to level with me.
3: Uh, about what exactly?
1: How was it that Carl the Fish and Wildlife guy found me when I was driving away from PL?
3: Um, I don't know, maybe because there's like one main road out of PL?
1: He came up right behind me when you and I were on the phone. Only one person knew where I was at that moment.
3: Yeah, Carl the fish and wildlife guy.
1: So you probably already know I found another box. And where?
3: Um, no, but I presume in Maryhill?
1: Right. I mean, now that you know the places I've been is basically the treasure map.
3: Hey, dummy, you told me you were there. I didn't guess that or divine it from some old story.
1: So where am I going next? It's all there in the story. What's the next stop on the Imo Treasure Hunt train? Let me guess. Somebody with a drone is already there waiting for me. What
3: the hell, Joseph?
1: Got any friends who drive an old Datsun?
3: Holy shit, Joseph. Stop it.
1: Stop what? Stop being a little prick. Ooh, good one.
3: Why would you ask about R.A. Hastings? That came out of nowhere.
1: Actually, it didn't.
3: Yes, it did.
1: No, it didn't.
3: Yes, it did.
1: It definitely didn't.
3: Yes, it. Oh, Joseph. What's wrong with you?
1: You know what's wrong with me? <sighs> two weeks ago, I'm just a regular guy going about my business. <laughs> regular? Well, you know what? Sometimes I like taking my friends on vacation halfway around the world. So what? I'm not hurting anybody. But two weeks ago, I didn't have the police after me. I wasn't being followed or pulled over by anyone. Two weeks ago, I cared about my job. Two weeks ago, I definitely didn't have some freaking haunted metal detector as a BFF. Two weeks ago, I could explain most everything that was happening in my life. And two weeks ago, I didn't have to wonder if you were part of some strange plot to ruin my life! If you're playing a part in this, Kim, any part. Uh, did
3: you say haunted? No. You did say haunted. Holy crap, Joseph. What is happening?
1: I don't know. Okay.
3: Hey! Hey, Joseph. Come back to the light. You're gonna be okay. You need to pull over for a sec?
1: Just tell me you're not in on all of this, Kim. Tell me. I need to hear you say it. Do you
3: mean in on the helping you part? Or the, your life is falling apart part.
1: I need to know you're not hiding things from me. Not you.
3: Joseph, I don't know how I can say it any clearer. I am not hiding things from you. And I am not part of any conspiracy to ruin you. So take it down a notch, okay? Jeez. What happened since I last spoke to you? You're all like...
1: Okay. I'm sorry.
3: Well, look, you're not quite off the hook. I still want to know why you brought up R.A. Hastings. And, since you asked, no, I don't know anyone who drives an old Datsun.
1: I brought it up because somebody with that name, who happens to be on the board of your company, is the trustee of the property right next to Flores Farms. And... Not to mention, I have one of their drones, in my car, which, I have a sneaking suspicion, was spying on me. So why ask me about it? That's quite the coincidence, isn't it?
3: How did you make the connection?
1: From Mel. She did some digging.
3: Right. She's a resourceful one. Glad she's on your side.
1: My side? What does that mean?
3: I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Jeez, Sorry. Just trying to lighten the mood.
1: So what's the connection? Why would this guy who sits on your board manage a land trust in Wapato? It's not
3: a guy. Well, not exactly. It's a corporation.
1: A corporation as a board member?
3: The actual board member is a woman from R.A. Hastings named Dagmar. Nice gal. You'd love her she sings scorpion songs at karaoke night. Dagmar? Yeah, Dagmar Schultz. It's German. German? What? Oh, your Berlin buyout company thing. (laughs) Joseph. There are a lot of Germans in the world, in case you hadn't noticed. Most of them quite lovely.
1: So what does R.A. Hastings do?
3: You've never heard of them?
1: Kim, up until this week, you're pretty much my only connection to the ag industry. Outside of the Laurelhurst Farmer's Market.
3: It's basically a giant agriculture holding company.
1: So they must be interested in the neural research you do.
3: Yeah. But they invest in all kinds of stuff. Traditional farming, sure, but also animal science, ethanol, GMO, even IoT monitoring devices for big farms.
1: Like drones?
3: Yeah. A lot of farms use stuff like that these days.
1: So I hear. So besides all that, R.A. Hastings likes to buy and sell land too, apparently.
3: Well real estate is booming. So, what's your next move? Or are you worried that if you tell me, I'll send Carl whats his butt after you again? <laughs> the police don't know Costume Jaywalker is you, right?
1: As far as I know, they don't.
3: So, do you wait it out? Oh, you're not getting off the hook about this haunted metal detector thing either. What's up with that? Oh...
1: I have no explanation for this. What? It... It seems to know what I want, or need. What? Yeah. And, it seems to know where things are. Beyond simple metal detecting, I mean.
3: Okay. That doesn't make any sense.
1: Tell me about it. Well, Joseph,
3: the plot just keeps getting thicker.
1: I should go. I gotta figure out how to get through this day.
3: Hey, having any more dreams?
1: Just ones where I'm back in our house, in Seattle, when we were kids. I keep dreaming about the workshop down in the basement. Under our rooms.
3: Oh. I used to love listening to dad work down there at night. Something about it. It Just made me feel safe, I guess.
1: Yeah, me too. (laughs) I'm sorry I got all crazy on you.
3: Sorry I called you a prick even though
1: you deserved it. I'm lucky. Up to this point, I've never had any reason to be suspicious of those around me. Not even at work, where things can sometimes get heated or political. These feelings are new territory for me. And even though I'm well-practiced at being tactical and reading people, I know I'm not handling my situation well. At all. Not with Kim, Not with Salvador, not with Antonia. I try to remind myself that coincidences are actually a thing. That not every random connection is a conspiracy. The next line in The Places I've Been, after PL, where my teaching career was first sparked, and Maryhill, a place of rest beneath the stones, is Cumberland where Piku Sika wore my T-shirt. It's a reference to one of Aimo's stories called A Tiny Surprise. It takes place when Aimo was young, less than 10 years old. The Elo family had recently moved from Butte, Montana to tiny Cumberland, Washington, where Aimo's father was able to get temporary work at a nearby coal mine. This was right before the family permanently moved to Grace Harbor on the Washington coast. Imo writes about a small, wooden crate that his father brought home one day. With everyone gathered around and excited, he opened one end of the crate and out clamored Piku Sika, a little pig. The children went wild, excited to have a pet, as did the piglet, running all around the kitchen looking for a place to hide. Aimo's mother and father announced to their giddy audience that everyone was responsible for feeding and caring for piku sika, so that it could quickly become an iso cica, or big pig, come winter, when there would be plenty of ham and bacon for everyone. Their father built a pen behind the house, and all was going well until one day when Aimo and Nilo were playing with the now medium-sized pig in the yard, and piku sika got loose. The two boys ran after it, chasing it through thick clusters of ferns and ivy and rotting cedar logs and stumps. Before long, they, and the pig, reached the edge of a creek. As Nilo reached down to grab Piku Sika, it leaped into the cold water, snorting and splashing for freedom. Aimo quickly waded in after it, and after some struggle, carried Piku Sika back to the creek bank. The pig was shivering from cold or from fright or both. So Aimo took off his t-shirt and wrapped Piku Sika up in it and left it dressed that way for hours, even after they returned it safely to the pen. Mel's latest text reads, I don't like this, but here you go. She follows it up with the address of the old ELO residence in Cumberland, at my request, scoured from old King County records. She adds, Molecular is here, at the office, only four hours until the meeting, and then a scowling emoji. I thank her for the information and assure her that I'll be there in time. It's cloudy on this side of the mountains, and the air is cold and clammy. It's 10 a.m., and the meeting is at 2. Set the timer for 30 minutes. I give myself half an hour to see if I can find whatever's here before I hit the road again. Despite having little to go off of besides an address and a memory about a pig from Imo's childhood, If P.L. is tiny, Cumberland is minuscule, a no-stoplight town surrounded by thick woods about 90 minutes southeast of Seattle. I can make out a structure on the property behind a grove of Douglas fir trees. As I get closer, I can see that it's a utility building of some kind, not a house. Oh, that's good. Maybe no one's here be nice to have some privacy for a change. I look over my shoulder and then I walk right past a no trespassing sign, leaving the short dirt driveway to enter the leafy ground cover. It doesn't take very long until I'm fully in the forest. For thousands of years, this land was the domain of the native peoples of this area. Old growth trees with their oversized trunks and canopies reached impossible heights. Today, the forest is mostly second or third growth timber. Oh, shoot. I sure hope you're waterproof, Coinmaster. The forest stretches on as far as I can see in this direction. I have no idea where the property boundary is, or if the boundary is even the same as the original property boundary. Well, let's see if you like this direction. (laughs) Okay. How about this way. All righty then. <sighs> oh. Huh. A herd of deer who I'm sure saw and smelled me long before I heard and saw them, sprint away through the thick underbrush ahead of me. Oh. But the deer weren't running away from me, I now realize. To my left, maybe 30 feet or so, is the real reason. A coyote stares at me, totally still. It turns and trots 30 feet or so farther away to my left, and then stops and stares at me again. Dude, all good with me if you go your way, and I go mine. (laughs) Okay, I guess we follow the coyote. I hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> this strange start-stop routine continues for minutes. I follow the coyote to the edge of an old dirt drive that clearly hasn't been used in years. I look and see that the coyote is now about 30 feet up the road, staring at me, panting. When I get near the spot it's at, it darts to the left, back into the thick underbrush. Where are you taking me? I look in the direction that it went. Whoa. There, among giant ferns and blackberry bushes, trying to reclaim their territory, are the ruins of a wooden house, charred by fire some time ago. I walk all the way around the ruins and peer inside of them, where I can. Inside, it's mostly charred walls and broken, decaying shelves and cabinets. Younger trees are growing up inside the house, between the broken floorboards. There's nothing pretty about what remains here. Yet I feel overcome by an unexpected feeling. a feeling of deep connection to the people I came from. My ancestors. Wait. You're gonna go quiet here? Oh no! No matter what I try, nothing works. Including the battery indicator. Oh man! That's when I realize, crap! I left Antonia's spare batteries in the car. Well, that was a fast half hour. Shoot! Ah! So now what? I look in the direction the sound came from, but I don't see the coyote. I do, however, spy a clear path that leads into the woods from what might have been the house's backyard. Hmm. If I was Piku Sika or Pika Siku, whatever it was, that's where I would have made a run for it. The path meanders for a bit through dense cedar and hemlock trees and giant ferns with their fronds extended to catch as much moisture as possible. When I get to the creek bank, I look to my right The coyote is clawing at the dense sand, just above the bank. It briefly turns to me, and we get a good look at each other before it sprints across the creek and into the dense woods on the other side, where I quickly lose sight of it. I walk over to the claw marks and set everything down. It only takes a few digs with the shovel until I hear the familiar clank. What do you know? Another box. (laughs) I sit on a large nearby cedar log that has small trees growing out of it and that looks like it's been decomposing for centuries. Just as with the rest, there's a plastic bag inside. I set the box down and open the bag and take out a familiar piece of stationery and another coin. This time, it's a quarter, dated 1932. Joey, congratulations on finding another box. I hope your search is going well if things are getting hard for you, don't despair. Where there is ruin, there is also renewal. Let this place be an example. I'mo. Hard. You mean like life turning upside down hard? Also written on the note, is a big capital letter A, and then the word lemon, lem, kainen, lemon kai kainen, lemon Yeah, just like I said. Man, what a language. Who invented Finnish, anyway? Oh.
3: Oh, crap. Mel. Joseph?
1: I'm... What time is it?
3: Joseph, the police are here. What? Two investigators.
1: At the office?
3: At the office. They won't say why. Okay. But... They're asking to see you.
1: Crap. I'm on my way. (laughs) Dirt, an audio drama is a production of Studio 5705 and is written, directed, and produced by me, Chris Cayella. This chapter features the voice talents of Ken Cayella as the voice in the basement, Megan Morales as Antonia, Jeannie Leslie as Kim, and Jesse Brown as Mel. I play the part of Joseph. This chapter also features the violin playing of Arvo Cayella. For more information about DIRT, an audio drama, visit dirtaudiodrama.com. And for the latest updates, please follow the show on Twitter. If you like what you hear, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends and family. Thank you very much for listening.
0: Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.
2: This is Yanni, and welcome to Season 2 of Harlem Queen. Thank you for listening. The season picks up the search for Michelle.
3: You are listening to the Floyd J. Calvin program. And now, straight to the headlines. Manhattan debutante and socialite Michelle Mondesir has been kidnapped
2: from her Connecticut boarding school. There is a tri-state search for Mademoiselle Mondesir, who is 15 years of age, Caucasian, and was last seen yesterday evening going to her dormitory. Stephanie is frantic. And she risks all in order to find her missing daughter. We will find Michelle. There are troopers all along the New Jersey and Pennsylvania highways. That's not enough. Madame Stephanie St. Clair posted a $10,000 reward for information that leads to the safe return of Ms. Mondesir. You need to take down your reward, Stephanie. I will not. Those no good couples are already saying she's dead. The connection between the debutante and the numbers queen is unclear. And Stephanie still has to contend with Luciano and Schultz plotting to push her out of her own turf. Word on the street is that of Schultz.
3: Who cares about a lost colored girl? This one is white. Fifth Avenue debutant, lot of money, well connected. And I want to find out why Stephanie
2: is so fixated on the girl. Stephanie is highly invested in her safe return. What do you need me to do?
3: I need you to cheese it. What about Sinclair? You tried to clip her twice. Is she pushing up daisies? No.
2: We're going to get her another way. Even Halstein is suspicious. Is he truly a friend or a foe? She's putting herself behind the eight ball. There's something more there, and I need to find out. In the meantime, someone has to earn their money she's deciding not to earn. You have no power in this case, Stephanie. In fact, you're a liability. I will do everything in my power to get her home safe and sound. Listen up for season two, Harlem Queen is a recipient of the lower manhattan cultural council's creative engagement grant and once we all get through this safe and sound we will have a live radio show of harlem queen this fall more episodes to come take good care and stay well